This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? The other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. Kyle, happy Sunday. Yes, sir. We had an action-packed day in the NFL. We got the Yankees and the Red Sox finishing up their three-game series right now. I mean, just all in all, just a great day and a great weekend for sports. You know, we had a great UFC card this past weekend. College football was exciting, and I can't wait to dive into these topics. You ready? Hell yeah, ready to go. All right, so mostly going to do a week three NFL recap. So we'll talk. About some games that kind of stood out to us on Sunday. We'll talk about the Los Angeles Chargers getting a huge road win over the Kansas City Chiefs. They won by the score of 30 to 24. We'll talk about that game a little bit. And then we'll keep it with that game in particular, but we'll focus on the Chiefs. Uh, currently, they're one and two, and they are in last place in the AFC West. We'll talk about some of the issues that seem to be plaguing them in the early part of the season. Then after that, we'll talk about which is probably the featured game of the week was the Los Angeles Rams going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a big win for them. They won by the score of 34 to 24. We'll talk about just what their potential is after beating a really good Buccaneers team at home. And as it currently stands, they are three and zero in one of the top spots in the NFC. Then after that, we'll kick it over to the AFC. Got the Cincinnati Bengals getting a very good road win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they won that game by the score of 24 to 10. We'll talk about the performance that Joe Burrow and the Bengals had all together against Pittsburgh. And then we'll kind of do a quick transition, kind of focusing on the Steelers a little bit, talking about whether or not that they are in legitimate trouble after falling to one and two by taking the loss against Cincinnati. And then we'll finish the episode with our honorable mentions from this past weekend with some of the NFL games that we didn't get to mention in some of our feature topics. So Kev will knock his out. I'll knock mine out. And then if anything kind of happens with the Yankees game, we'll kind of do just a quick mention of that. Just kind of see where it goes. You still got the Packers and 49ers game going on. Packers are putting an absolute beat down on the 49ers right now. So it looks like the Packers are on their way to finishing Sunday night at two and one. That's our episode. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about this Kansas City and Los Angeles Chargers game. A phenomenal divisional game out in the AFC West. You have the Los Angeles Chargers going on the road, winning that game by the score of 30-24. to 24. Justin Herbert was sensational in this game through four touchdowns against Kansas City. And then to kind of kick it over to Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes had some issues today. And... He had another kind of turnover, happy performance, had some touchdowns, but he did have two interceptions. And Kansas City also had four turnovers in this game compared to the Chargers who didn't turn the ball over whatsoever. So, Kev, just let me get your thoughts about this surprising win for the Chargers over the Chiefs. Well, I mean, honestly, we've seen spurts of Justin Herbert have performances where you just say, wow, there's no way he's only been in the league two seasons. Obviously, we know that the dynamic duo between Mike Williams and Keenan Allen has shown and proven to be very effective. You have the skilled route running and efficiency that is Keenan Allen. Then you have the big body go up and get it receiver that is Mike Williams. You have a good tandem in the backfield with Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. So they seem like a very well-rounded offense. 
And when Justin Herbert is able to put the ball in place where he was today, going for four touchdowns, obviously, I mean, it's really hard to say how, you know, or should I say, it's hard to say what the ceiling could be for the Chargers. It's just like last week where they lost to the Cowboys to that uh, game-winning field goal. You do look back and say, like, was Justin playing at a full at his full potential, you know what I mean? Like, he has those games where you kind of look at him like, eh, like, I see why he's still considered to be, like, a little bit on the inexperienced side or someone that's still learning the game. But then he goes and carves up the defending AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs the way that he did. And on the Chiefs side, I mean, like Kyle said, we're talking about four turnovers. It's four to zero. That's literally all it is. It's a, it's a turnover battle. It was a six-point game. If Kansas City turns the ball over half the time, uh, maybe they win this game. But the point is, in the last couple of weeks, they've turned the ball over several times, and that has cost them two key victories. So I would say definitely not panic mode. You can clean this up. These are fixable mistakes. Edward Solaire has two fumbles in the last two weeks. Um, could be a little bit of a mental thing. Could we see a little bit more from Darrell Williams running the ball more? Maybe. But uh, I think Edward Solaire will get this together. But it's funny how Kyle and I were actually talking about this uh, before the episode. Prior to last week, Pat Mahomes had no interceptions in September. He had no losses in September. Now he's got two losses, and he's got four interceptions in the month of September within the last two weeks alone. So I don't necessarily know what is going on with Kansas City to be in the predicament that they're in, but they'll find a way to get it together. They still have Patrick Mahomes, who is probably the best player in football and obviously the best quarterback in the NFL. So... I feel like they'll be able to turn it around. You know, prayers up to Andy Reid, who did leave um, the game and was, you know, hospitalized due to precautionary me- uh, measures. But they say that he's doing okay. So we will see what happens on that front. But overall, the Chiefs definitely cannot sit here and look at this division as easy as it used to be over the last few years. Denver's 3-0, and the Raiders are 3-0, and and now the Chargers are now 2-1. and If the Chiefs don't get it together, this division might get away from them quickly. The AFC West is no longer an easy scapegoat to uh, kind of run through. Yeah, I, when I look back at this game, just the one stat that really pops out to me are the turnovers. And in the lead-up to this game, I mentioned that I thought that Justin Herbert was going to be the one that was going to be turning the ball over against Kansas City's defense. It actually turned out to be that Patrick Mahomes was the one making some costly turnovers and the Kansas City Chiefs as well. So you add the two interceptions that he had in this game, plus the two fumbles that they had. I mean, four turnovers. I mean, I don't care if it's Kansas City or if it's the worst team in the league. I mean, you're putting yourself at a huge hole. You're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage when you're giving the Chargers just ample opportunities to score. And that's really kind of the main takeaway from this game is that when the Chargers got those turnovers, they were able to turn it into points. And just once again, the the Chiefs just have these really late and inopportune turnovers that really cost them. Last week, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumbled the ball with only a minute to go against the Ravens. And then they had another situation where they turned the ball over late in the game once again, and it cost them the game. I mean, Kansas City marching down the field at the end of the game. You know, the Chargers tied it up at 24 apiece with like two two fifteen left in the game. Kansas City gets the ball, and they just find a way to just let it squander away from them. And the Chargers march right down the field, and Justin was able to hit Mike Williams on a four-yard pass to put him up 30-24, to and that was all she wrote. So when I look at the Chiefs, I still think, by and large, they're one of the best teams, not only in the AFC, but in the NFL. But they have got to clean up these turnover issues because, I mean, after week three, who would have thought that they would have been one and two, and at the bottom of the AFC West. I sure as hell didn't expect it. I know you didn't expect it. But turnovers and this defense are some of the main issues that are leading to the results of what they are. And that's the the AFC West is dominated by, I mean, the Broncos are 3-0, the Raiders are 3-0, the Chargers are 2-1, and and then the surprising fact of, Kansas City being one and two at the bottom, it just stuns me. And I got to give the Chargers credit. They were able to play up to snuff today. They played a relatively clean game. And when the Chiefs turned it over, they were able to capitalize on that and they punished Kansas City for it. So this was a huge win for them. I wasn't expecting it. I thought Casey would just kind of roll through this game. 
pretty handily after taking that tough one-point loss against Baltimore last week. But the Chargers earned it today, and it's a well-deserved win in my book. Yeah, um, it's funny because you really look at it, and the Chargers are three points away from being 3-0 and as well, and that being an expiring field goal to win the game last week for the Dallas Cowboys. So the AFC West looks very stacked, and I do know that we're going to make some, you know, some headway and some topics later on today in our honorable mentions about some of the teams in the AFC West. But it's like I said, and I have to reiterate it, if Kansas City does not turn this around, again, I know that it's very early on in the season, this division looks to be doing exactly what they need to do, and that's just winning winnable football games. I do know that the Broncos played the Jets this week, and you know, like um, the, the Raiders. The Raiders are probably the best team in this division right now just because they played two playoff teams, and then this week they went toe-to-toe in overtime in Miami to win uh, a, a close one. So I, I would say the Raiders are the most for real and deadly team, but overall, every team in this division is playing absolutely phenomenal, and this needs to be noted the AFC West used to be laughed at over the last two to three years because of how dominant the Chiefs have been. If the division isn't as easy as it used to be, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to be able to ride through the AFC like they have been for the past couple of years. I'm just saying, division games are always hard as it is because it's a division rival. But if you're playing at at a level and a magnitude of this caliber... I don't even know if the Chiefs are going to be able to win this division or, or get into a wild card spot if the Broncos and the rest of the cast of the, the division continue to carry on. So Chiefs better wake up pretty quick, man. That defense better find a way to turn it around. That 30-point games in back-to-back weeks, that is not good, and that's four turnovers plus, or should I say three-plus turnovers in each of the last two games, not good at all. Pat's got to do better. The team's got to do better. If not, we're looking at a new AFC champion this year. Yeah, and I do want to keep the focus on Kansas City here. Just the fact of the matter is that they're sitting at one and two, the bottom of the AFC West. Just, Kevin, what are your reasons or what are the issues that are really kind of causing Kansas City to be at this position at one and two and at the bottom of the AFC West? To say some of my thought process behind that would be teams are starting to figure out what Kansas City is really about. And I know that that sounds funny because when they're on fire, it looks like nobody can stop them. Travis Kelsey had over 100 yards today. Tyreek Hill in week one had almost 200 yards receiving. But there are ways to try to slow them down, and that is keeping Patrick contained in the pocket. That is finding ways to halt Tyreek Tyreek Hill from getting out and expanding the football field and extending those plays. And that's forcing Pat to make tough throws. Granted, Pat is probably not only the most athletic quarterback we've ever seen, but the most skilled quarterback we have ever seen in terms of how he can make throws off balance, no look. I mean, like flick his wrist to go 60 yards. Everybody knows the story. But if you can make his life a living hell, just like the Bucks did this past Super Bowl, we all know that Pat is going to be able to struggle because at the end of the day, those are still difficult throws and you can't make those consistently. So if you're forcing Pat to put the ball in a place that's a risky throw and if most teams can find a way to capitalize, I would say you're in a good place. The offense just has to do its part and score. The Chiefs happen to be turning the ball over quite often, and then their defense is letting up a lot of points on the opposite end. I know Patrick Mahomes does very good statistically and historically when down double-digit points, but in these close games over the last two weeks, they were up, I think, 14 or 15 points against the Ravens last week, and the Ravens find a way to come back and win by one. And like, like Kyle said, they were up or tied earlier today against the Chargers, and then that fumble comes. And what are you going to do? What happens here? So the, the, the Chiefs overall just have to clean up their act, get their stuff together, and they need to play better football. Because overall, like I said a hundred times in this last segment, this division is no pushover anymore. And if they continue to be careless with the ball and they don't, stop, they don't find ways to stop the other team on the defensive side and force some turnovers of their own, I don't think it's going to bode well for the Chiefs go forward. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you. The way that I see it is, Kansas City, they just need to clean up the amount of turnovers that they're having. And I think that will largely correct a lot of the issues that this team is currently having. Granted, you know, they're on a two-game skid right now after losing to Baltimore in week two by one point. They lose to the Chargers this week. But I just think that the turnovers, by, by and large, it sets the defense in a bad position. You're giving the defense a short field to work with, and that does leave the opposing offense is a much easier path to get points, whether it's in regards to a field goal or a touchdown. So, you know, 
I think that the Chiefs can be able to figure this out. You know, they have Andy Reid, who's going to be a Hall of Fame coach. You have Patrick Mahomes, who is well on his way, if he's not already on his on his way to being a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I think, you know, they're going through some some bumpy roads right now. I think they'll be able to kind of work this out. And the only thing that I'm going to kind of focus on with Kansas City moving forward is if these turnovers are not corrected, then I'm going to have to kind of say then I think their like monopoly that they hold on the AFC West is really going to be in question for this season because look, the Raiders came to play and you also have the, uh, excuse me, you have the uh, Broncos to contend with as well. I mean, both of those teams are at the top of the AFC West right now. And if the chiefs aren't careful, if they keep going on a skid where they're turning the ball over or they're getting costly penalties that are setting them back and their, their defense is giving up 30 points, it may be a little bit more difficult for the Chiefs this year than I had originally anticipated. I thought this team was going to roll through fairly easy, finish off at 14-3, and possibly 15-2. and But I didn't expect this amount of turnovers from Patrick this early on. And just to kind of reiterate the stat that you mentioned earlier, I mean, Patrick Mahomes went out throughout his entire career up until this point, not throwing an interception in the month of September. And then in this season in particular, he has three, you know, and the team, not only Patrick is having issues with turning the ball over, but the team's having fumbling issues. So that's where they stand right now. Fix the turnovers. It would probably help the defense to a certain extent. And when this team gets going, I think all aspects of the team will start clicking. It's just, I think, the offense is going to be the one that they're, they're going to have to get the spark from the offense because I don't think that this defense is going to be able to provide a spark that really gets this team going because this defense largely, they play well when they're ahead, but they kind of struggle when they're down. So I think the offense, it's going to have to be the offense and Pat to kind of get this spark going for Kansas City if they want to turn this around uh, within the next week or two. Yeah, Um Great game, nonetheless. Again, Justin Herbert's progression has been phenomenal over the last couple of weeks. You can see that he is ready to take that next step in terms of being comfortable in this league and being an everyday starter and being an efficient starter. So not to take away from what the Chargers were able to do today, great win in Arrowhead, phenomenal game. And I think that if they continue to progress, they could be a good viable playoff team come forward. But we shall see what happens. Again, we are in just merely week three. The Yankees did take the lead. That is why my eyes continue to leave the screen. Aaron Judge hits a double, and the Yankees take the lead 4-3. to three. And when there's only one out with Stanton up at the bat. So I'm a little distracted right now. But we're going to move over to the next topic at hand, which is the next game we're going to cover, which is what Kyle and I predicted to be the potential NFC championship matchup of the season, which is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champions, visiting SoFi Stadium and the L.A. Rams. And it just looks like the Rams continue to roll with a victory of 34 to 24. So, Kyle, my question to you is, are the Rams for real? Oh, yeah. No doubt. This was a huge win against the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. But I think the Rams, like, have a very good shot to be, you know, Kevin, what's up? The whole floor, 48 feet. Oh my god! He's on fire, bro. He's unstoppable. Oh my god! Over the monster, bro. He's had a home run in three straight games against the Red Sox. Like this is crazy. Oh shit! Woo! Keep talking about the Rams. I gotta breathe. Um. All right, so let me get back on track here. I, I listen. I, I gotta let Kev have his moment here. You know, these are really, these are great reactions from Kevin. I just love seeing him when he's happy. But Kevin, it's only the eighth inning. There's still a lot of baseball left to be played. I know. I know. I'm not saying we Yankees won. Bullpen, I'm, I'm just hype. I'm just hype. You know, the Yankees bullpen will get on their bullshit. Listen, I'm just saying. Trust me. Aaron Boone already. Me and Aaron Boone got words in this last inning before. So trust me, I'm aware. All right. So talking about the Rams, I think the Rams legitimately have a real good shot to not only be the top team in the NFC West, which is one of the 
best divisions in all of football. I realistically think that this team can compete for a Super Bowl championship this year. And here's why. When you have Matt Stafford leading the way for this offense, he is a significant upgrade than what they had in Jared Goff the last couple of years. And I think with Matt Stafford, I think this is the way that Sean McVay wants that Rams offense to operate. You know, they, they don't have Cam Akers who went down with a torn ACL. So a lot of the pressure is being put on Matt Stafford's back and he's coming through with flying colors so far. I mean, just to kind of go to the stat line today, I mean, 27 to 38, almost 350 yards passing four touchdowns. I mean, he carved up that ran that, excuse me, the Bucks defense, like nothing. Like it was just like a surgeon going to work, just another day at the office. And he was sensational, you know, and I got to say this. Cooper Cup has been just on an absolute tear to start the season. He seems to be Matt Stafford's kind of go-to target so far through three weeks in the season. He had nine catches, 96 yards, two touchdowns. Cooper Cup just seems to be that number one guy for them, and he is just going off to start the season. And even Deshaun Jackson chipped in. He had three catches, had a 75-yard receiving touchdown from Matt Stafford today. So it just seemed like the Rams offense couldn't miss. They're going up against a Bucks defense that is suspect. They are known to give up points. And Matt Stafford and that offense completely exposed the Bucks defense for what they are, which is a subpar secondary. And they put them to work. Now to kind of focus on the Bucks here, look, I thought the Bucks offense was able to move up and down the field fairly well. They just couldn't score points. So you do have to give credit for the Rams defense for being able to get the Buccaneers offense off the field. So that's despite the fact that Brady threw for 430 yards and Brady was pretty efficient today. He almost threw for 75% of his passes, or excuse me, he completed almost 75% of his passes today. So I still think that both these teams are going to be at the top of the pecking order in the NFC. You know, kind of to reiterate the point that you made, I do think that this has a very good potential of being a repeat matchup when it comes to January in a possible NFC championship game. But just the takeaways from today is the Rams are legit. They have a very good shot to compete for a Super Bowl championship this year. And look, we're only three weeks in, and I don't want to be too prisoner of the moment, but Matt Stafford, his stats up to this point, they are definitely worthy of some MVP consideration. And if he continues this pace, uh, he has a very good shot to compete for an NFL MVP this year, which uh, is well-deserved because, you know, after all the time that he spent in Detroit, just throwing 5,000 yards season after season, he finally is with a team that really kind of is in real competition to not only be the best team in a conference in the NFC, but possibly the best team in the NFL. So, Kudos to the Rams. They they earned it today. Well, to piggyback off of the Matt Stafford point you made, he's throwing over 70. He's completing over 70% of his passes. He's got nine touchdowns and one interception. He's averaging 314 yards per game, and he's averaging 10 yards per attempt. So, and what, a passer rating of like 128.7 or something like that? Absolutely ridiculous. Matt Stafford literally gets put, put in the place of Jared Goff. The team is relatively the exact same, minus the um, injury to Cam Akers offensively. And this team is that much better. I mean, you, you legitimately swap quarterbacks in two different places. And this team is just this dominant. 34-24, to Stafford goes for four touchdowns, 343 today, was only sacked once with a passer rating of 134. You have Tom Brady on the other side throwing the ball significantly more than Stafford and had an incredible game on his side too. 300, excuse me. 432 yards with a touchdown. He was, however, sacked three times. But Brady did his thing, too, with a pass rating of 103. The negative part to the Buccaneers' failure today was the fact that they could not run the ball. A total, a total rushing attempt of 13, 13 attempts as a team. And Tom Brady, your 58-year-old quarterback, led your team in rushing yards with 14 yards. And he got a touchdown? Like, that's a big problem. Offensively, the, the, the Bucks cannot rely on Tom Brady at his age to go out there and throw the ball damn near 60 times. Not that he can't do it. I'm not shaming him for being that age. But if you want him to last until 50, like the rumors and the jokes and all these media outlets like to make it seem like he can play forever, this isn't how you make somebody at that age last. So 
He's also, like I said, he was also sacked three times. So you have to keep him upright. You're not running the ball very effectively. You're making Tom throw the ball way too much. And in the secondary, like Kyle said, I'm merely reiterating because if this secondary does not pick it up, there is not a chance in hell this team will be able to turn it around against actual competitive teams with a capable offensive line and a very well-rounded team as a whole. Obviously, the Chiefs last year had a very banged-up offensive line that doesn't take away from the offensive efficiency that the Bucs had in the Super Bowl. But defensively, they were able to get to the quarterback. Stafford was only sacked one time. The Rams were also able to run the ball effectively, at least better than the Bucs did. Excuse me. I shouldn't say effectively. They, they pretty much had about, what, 76 total yards rushing, 3.2 yards per carry. So not incredible. But overall, um, they were able to keep it a lot more honest and a lot more balanced than the Bucs were. And that's the biggest difference. So, you know, like I said, the Bucs are still one of the better teams in the NFC. But this, this coming out party, as I like to call it, for the Rams – they're serious, and they're here to stay. And if the Rams continue to carve it up the way that they're doing offensively and doing just enough on the defensive side of the ball to keep teams at least a touchdown or two apart, then they're going to win a lot of football games. They're probably going to look for a Super Bowl title, and then Matt Stafford is definitely competing for an MVP because Lord knows the way that this team is going, it's very, very, very scary. Yeah, and that was kind of my expectation when it comes to Matt Stafford before the season started. You know, I thought that he legitimately had – a really good shot to win NFL MVP this year. And I guess like my reasoning behind it was because when Cam Akers went down, it's going to put a lot more pressure on Matt Stafford to not only perform, but to excel. And it's like you reiterated with the stats. I mean, he's on fire. And if he continues this pace, I think he's got a very good shot to at least be, you know, a finalist for, you know, NFL MVP this year. It's just, you know, they have to keep it going. I mean, granted, it's only September. Still a lot of football left to be played. But the Rams are off to a very good start. And this is a big statement win over a really good Buccaneers team, despite the fact that they have a pretty subpar secondary. But, you know, overall, it was it was a good game. It was a good game from beginning to end. And um, I would love to see this matchup once again when it comes to the playoffs. I, I think this would be a really good re- repeat matchup. Speaking of statement games, this next game... It's a game that Kyle and I both got incorrect in terms of our prediction earlier last week. But I did say, if this were to happen, it's not a shock. At least to me. Excuse me. The next game I'm talking about is the Bengals at the Pittsburgh Steelers, in which the Bengals capitalized and, from what I saw, dominated Pittsburgh from start to finish. 24-10. to 10. Joe Burrow goes into Pittsburgh and gets his first road win as a starting quarterback in the NFL, but it's absolutely incredible the numbers that fall behind it. Joe Burrow only threw the ball 18 total times, and the Bengals won this game by 14 points. Joe Burrow had three touchdowns out of those 18 attempts and one interception, but the fact that he literally only threw the ball 18 times as opposed to Ben Roethlisberger's 58 is insane. So Kyle... It's weird because I want to ask it in a way that could create a hot topic or spark a note, but there's no reason to turn it into that magnitude, so I'll just keep it simple. Is Pittsburgh in trouble, and can the Bengals continue this success in the AFC North? All right, I'll start with the first one. I'll start with uh, whether or not Pittsburgh's in trouble. Yeah, I think they're in legitimate trouble. And it didn't help that the Steelers didn't have uh, Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster because both of them were out with injuries. So when your top two wideouts are out and not of service, it leaves the Pittsburgh Steelers in a really difficult situation. And you kind of saw that reflected in Ben Roethlisberger's just ability to throw the ball really only to Najee Harris. I mean, Najee Harris had, what was it, Kevin? 14 catches? 19 total targets. Insane. I mean, they lived by the check down against the Bengals today because, I mean, outside of Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster, all you have is really Chase Claypool, and then you got some backup wideouts. I mean, so they're really thin as far as wide receiver options go at this point in time, and that's why Najee was getting a lot of targets. And just looking at Big Ben, Kevin, it hurts to watch him. I, I mentioned it last week that he looks like he's like 39 going on 50. I mean, Kevin, like when he's in the pocket, he literally can't move. It's like watching a tree. 
like it'll sway kind of back and forth a little bit when the wind blows but it's like that's what like big ben roethlisberger is in the pocket because he just can't run anymore it just it hurts to watch him and i i i gotta say this you know they're one and two and it's only week three but they have been one of the more just tough team to watch like one of the toughest teams to watch i mean they beat a good buffalo bills team in week one and then they have just proceeded to look really ugly in the last two losses you know this one against the Bengals, they lose by two touchdowns at home they let the raiders basically stomp all over them in week two and also at home i just don't know how they're going to be able to correct this if the offense can't get it together this is a really good defense but the fact of the matter is is that the defense isn't going to be able to pr- provide you points left and right. It's going to be the offense. And 10 points at home against the Bengals, that's not an easy sight to look at. And the fact of the matter is they gave up four sacks. So Big Ben, he is struggling already, and then he's getting hit on top of that. So hopefully they can kind of get these injuries corrected. They can get Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster back from injury. I think it could help out the offense a little bit, but they got to get a spark on this offense because when Najee Harris is getting the total number of targets that he's getting in week three, granted that could just be circumstance of injuries, but it really kind of goes to show how inept this Steelers offense is. And if this offense can't get it together, it is going to be a really rough season for the Steelers altogether. So I do think that there is legitimate concern with this team moving forward. So, I'm going to circle one big number here, and I wish I had like a green screen like a professional does, but I do not. So my big number here, Joe Burrow was sacked zero times. That is the biggest, important, most incredible number here out of this entire stat sheet on both sides of the ball because Joe Burrow has one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. That man has literally come into the league and has been sacked pretty much like every chance he has or knocked down or hit. I mean, for God's sakes, in his rookie year, he tore his ACL and MCL in week 10. Like, and he comes back week one, and the Bengals are 2-1. and one. So, again, shout out to the Bengals offensive line. But on the opposite side, on the other team, the offensive line for the Pittsburgh Steelers isn't good, doing good as well either. Ben Roethlisberger was sacked four times. Ben Roethlisberger also, like I said, threw the ball 58 times because the run game has been completely inept. They have not been able to run the ball effectively, even with their top draft choice of getting Najee Harris out of Alabama. They, we're talking about 15 total attempts. Ben was one of the attempts. So Najee ran the ball 14 times for 40 yards, averaging 2.9 yards per carry. And one of those runs was a 20-yard run. So technically it would have been 10 times worse if it wasn't for that run. We're literally sitting here talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers, a gritty, run-dominant, and very powerful offense. Obviously, way more potent in the air, but like Kyle said, their two best receivers were out due to injury. T.J. Watt, their best pass rusher, arguably one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, was out with that groin injury. Just like I said on Thursday, if he doesn't play, it changes the entire dynamic of this defense. And for the majority of this game, it looked like they could not touch Joe Burrow and they relatively did not get a hand on him outside of maybe a couple of hits in terms of QB hits, but no sacks. Jamar Chase, the number one overall draft choice, has five total touchdowns this season. Excuse me, four total touchdowns this season in three games. Absolutely incredible. Jamar Chase is turning out to be a better pick thus far. And the connection between him and Joe Burrow has not skipped a beat since they were together at LSU two years ago. So the Bengals look really good. But I think Pittsburgh looks 10 times worse. I understand that they're not healthy right now. But the fact that their 39, almost 40-year-old quarterback is throwing the ball 60 times with a QBR of 38.4 and consistently being hit and or knocked down or sacked repeatedly is not going to bode well for them as this season progresses. It's going to get harder. It's going to get colder. And it's going to be a lot, lot, lot more complicated for this team to find wins later on in the year. You know, I do want to answer the second question that you had on just the Bengals' performance overall. This was a impressive performance in my eyes, just because, you know, I expected the Steelers to kind of win this game pretty handily. I, I remember when we were making our predictions, uh, you were a little bit more skeptical than I was about the Steelers winning this game. I mean, we both picked the Steelers to win. Um, I just had a little more confidence in Pittsburgh than you did, but I just, I didn't see this coming. Th- this was, despite the fact that the Steelers held a time of possession more than the Bengals did. 
But the Steelers turned the ball over twice. Two interceptions by Ben. And when you combine that with the amount of pressure that he was getting, the Bengals had a phenomenal game. I mean, this was a huge win for them. It's not only um, a big win for them, but it was also Joe Burrow's first road win as a professional athlete. Wild. Absolutely insane. You got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, who would have thought that the Bengals would have been two and one and the Steelers would be one and two. I thought it would have been reversed after week three, but I guess my focus here is really just how bad the Steelers have looked in the, the first three weeks of the season. I'm not saying that, you know, the season's over and you should just abandon ship right now, but their main focus right now is to just get healthy because if they can do that, they can at least be more competitive in future games this season. But if this offense can't get it together, it's going to be a very long season for Pittsburgh. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm not nervous. I'm not a Pittsburgh fan. Obviously, I got my own worries in Indianapolis. I got my own problems. Please, guys, I'm not talking about that today. I have enough stuff going on in my head about that goddamn game. But in general, Pittsburgh's got a lot of stuff to worry about injury-wise and then, of course, on the offensive line. Cincinnati obviously has to fix their offensive line as well in terms of consistency. Just because they do it this week doesn't mean that they're going to be able to do it and repeat that success go forward. However, they were able to run the ball effectively, so I will say that that offensive line was pushing the defensive front of Pittsburgh, which is still good to see. So kudos to Cincinnati. Pittsburgh's got to go back to the drawing board and figure themselves out as well. It's going to be a long season. So we are going to continue into our honorable mentions. Um, There were a lot of great games today, but again, we're going to do what we did last time, similar to the uh, just quick kind of spit off and give our mentions to uh, two specific games per person. Uh, The games that I chose are going to be simple. It's going to be the Miami Dolphins losing and falling short to the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas pushes their record to 3-0. and They won by the score of 31-28. to Derek Carr was questionable for the majority of this week with an injury, and he ends up playing, and playing very well, might I add. He did have one interception, and he was sacked three times, but he was able to throw for 386 yards and two touchdowns with an average of nine yards per attempt in the air. They were able to run the ball very, very, very effectively against this Miami defense. Peyton Barber, I didn't even know that he was going to take the starting job from Kenyon Drake because Kenyon Drake was literally brought to Oakland to back up Josh Jacobs. But the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer absolutely balled out with a 111-yard performance with a touchdown, averaging 4.8 yards a carry. The team as a whole ran for a buck 40. Uh, Brian Edwards continues to show out the tight end or former tight end slash receiver out of South Carolina. He had 89 yards. Henry Ruggs out of Alabama had 78 yards. Hunter Renfro out of Clemson, 77 yards. And, you know, usually the big name when you come out of Las Vegas is going to be Darren Waller. Darren Waller had a good game also, five yard, five catches for 54 yards. But to switch it over onto the other side, or should I say the other team, Jacoby Brissett did lead the Dolphins downfield, and they were able to put up 28 points. However, they were rushing touchdowns from what I can tell. Um, obviously, we only had two rushing scores. There were no passing scores. So, I, I mean, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they had a defensive touchdown as well which is why they were able to put up that many points. Um, but Jacoby Brissett threw the ball 50 times. They're without Tua Tungavailoa for the foreseeable future, at least I believe three weeks. Uh, he has fractured ribs. So Jacoby is going to be the starting quarterback for the foreseeable future. And he was able to do what he needed to do, at least to put them in a position to score. But he just, I mean, again, as a former Colt fan, excuse me, as a former Colt that Jacoby Brissett was, I know what Jacoby's able to bring to the table. And, yards per attempt in the air, 49 passing attempts, only 215 total yards. He was sacked twice, QBR of only 64. Jacoby Brissett had seven rushes for 37 yards with a rushing touchdown of his own. But in terms of him being an effective quarterback in this league, I do not know how that's going to bode well for the Dolphins go forward, Uh, at least for the next month or so. At least that's what I'm hearing for Tua. Tua is probably going to be out for, I believe, three to four weeks. Um, the Dolphins were able to at least, you know, like I said, move the ball and have an effective game. They did come off starting hot. They were up 14 to nothing until Miami had that questionable call at the goal line where they threw a screen pass to Jalen Waddle and oh, Vegas gets safety. I, I know Kyle knows exactly the play I'm talking about. It's super, super weird. But the Dolphins are struggling with or without Tua. So, um, like I said, Vegas gets the win. Kudos to them taking the dominant lead in the AFC West. 
Uh, moving over into the next game, I chose the Buffalo Bills against the Washington football team. Josh Allen looked to be the Josh Allen of last season and completely annihilated the Washington football team. He had 358 yards, four touchdowns, and was not touched. He was not sacked at all the entire game. Uh, the Buffalo Bills actually ran the ball for over 122 yards, which is great on their part. They were able to also get a rushing score. And Cole Beasley led the way with receptions in terms of he had 13 total targets, 11 receptions, 98 yards. Cole Beasley is a slept-on wide receiver, not only in the slot, not only known for third down, but as someone who can create separation. And I think that he deserves some credit. So Buffalo's finding a way to turn it around, to spin it onto the Washington football team. Obviously, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick was hurt in week one, so Taylor Heineke ends up coming in. He had a decent game. I'm not going to say he had a terrible game. He had two touchdowns, but he also had two interceptions. Uh, he was 14 of 24 for 212 yards. Uh, the Washington football team was not able to really run the ball against the Buffalo Bills. They had 25 total attempts for 78 yards, which is an average of 3.1 yards per carry. Antonio Gibson led the way in terms of total yards with 73 yards with just one reception, which happened to be a touchdown. Uh, uh, Scary Terry, otherwise known as Terry McLaurin, had 62 yards. But overall, the Washington football team falls short by 22 total points. And the Buffalo Bills steamroll the football team, like I said, 43 to 21. So the AFC East continues to not go the way a lot of people expected. I mean, Buffalo struggled the first two weeks. Uh, granted, Buffalo won last week and they won this week. And again, I know Buffalo won 35 to nothing, but Josh Allen didn't look like the Josh Allen of last season. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I guess I used the wrong word in terms of struggle, but it didn't look like Buffalo like they should. And uh, the Bills are starting to look like themselves, at least after this week. And the football team just still has a lot to learn or still has a lot to develop with Taylor Heineke. So those are my two honorable mentions for the week. All right. So for me, I'm going to go over the Ravens Detroit Lions game and then we're going to go over the Browns and Bears game. So I'm going to start with the the Ravens and Lions game because there's really only one person that I want to focus on for this and that's Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker at the end of the game after Lamar Jackson was able to connect on a huge pass play that set them up to get in the field goal range in the first place with like 30 seconds to go. After that, Justin Tucker lines up a 66-yard field goal and nails it. I mean, a game-winning field goal from 66 yards out, hits the crossbar, and it just flips the right way and ends up hitting the net. And the Ravens leave Detroit with a 19-17 victory. And this is really just where I want to focus on Justin Tucker. Because, I mean, I could talk about Lamar Jackson. You know, he had a solid day, but, you know, the focus here is Justin Tucker. The fact of the matter is we are witnessing probably the greatest kicker in NFL history. He is by far and away the most accurate kicker that I've ever seen. And I've seen great kickers. I've seen Adam Vinatieri hit game-winning field goals in Super Bowls for the New England Patriots. I've even seen great kickers that are not of like my favorite team, like which is the Patriots. I've seen Sebastian Janikowski go on for 20 years, kicking clutch moment after clutch moment kick for the Oakland Raiders. But Justin Tucker, he's, he's, he reigns supreme over all of them. He's extremely accurate. And the fact of the matter is he set the NFL record today on a game-winning kick that puts the Ravens at 2-1. and one. And I'll tell you this, the Ravens needed this win. The Lions played them tough. And the Lions probably did more than enough to win them this game. But Justin Tucker literally just snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. And it puts the Baltimore Ravens at 2-1. and one. This is a huge win for them. This is coming off the heels after a fantastic win over Kansas City last week. And I know I'm going over the top with Justin Tucker here. But I got to give this dude a lot of credit. You know, granted, he's a kicker. We don't really talk a lot about kickers um, on our segments that much, but I got to give the man his roses here. This dude is just on fire right now, and he came through with one of the best kicks I've ever seen. So I got to give a lot of credit to the guy. He came through when they needed it the most. And then to kind of focus on the second game that I mentioned with the, the Bears and the Browns, I mean, the Browns defense today, I mean, kudos to them. Nine sacks against 
Justin Fields today. I mean, Justin Fields is getting his first start in the NFL. I mean, coming into the season as a rookie quarterback for the Chicago Bears, which just for some odd reasons, like Chicago can never like actually like field like a decent quarterback. They've never been able to do it. And the most exciting player that's probably come through Chicago's franchise probably within like the last decade or so gets sacked nine times against the Browns. I mean, the Browns looked like world beaters today. And Miles Garrett was just a man on a mission. Four and a half sacks today. I mean, he must have like channeled his, you know, his inner Chandler Jones because he was a one-man wrecking crew today. And I thought the I thought the Browns altogether they were sensational today. I thought Baker was pretty good, and I thought the run game for the for the uh, for the Browns was really good. They were able to get some consistent carries from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So just altogether, just a well-rounded performance from the Browns today. Basically, just beat the brakes off of the Bears. The Bears really had no shot, and that's why they won by essentially three touchdowns. And, I mean, the Browns are sitting up at the top of the NFC. Excuse me, the NFC. They're sitting at the top of the AFC North, right alongside the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. And it really just kind of sets up, like, an interesting dynamic with the AFC North because you really got three teams um, that have been largely pretty successful so far. You've had the success of Joe Burrow with Cincinnati. You've had Lamar Jackson really kind of carrying his team on his back. And now you've got the Browns. you got... Baker Mayfield, who's leading the offense, but getting really good production from the running backs and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And if Cleveland's defense can play like this on a consistent basis, they have a very good shot to compete for the top spot in the AFC North. But those are my two games that I wanted to mention uh, for my honorable mentions. Um, Really two great performances from Justin Tucker and uh, the Browns defense. I mean, those two performances had to be mentioned. And that's why I have them here. Yeah. Um, both great games. The fact that Justin Fields ends up getting pretty fucked up in his debut just is very unfortunate. Rumor has it he may have injured his hand in that game as well. Matt Nagy says that he is going to get some tests done, but Justin says that he's okay. So we will see how that story kind of progresses, go forward. Um, just to give you guys an update, obviously we're not going to be able to cover the entireness, the entirety of the Packers 49ers game as we're wrapping up here. But the Packers are leading 24 to 14, so it does look like the Packers are on their way to at least uh, for now somewhat of a victory. But uh, Aaron Rodgers looks absolutely incredible: 21 of 24, 219 yards and two touchdowns. Aaron Jones is carving it up for 64 yards and a touch as well. Um, Devontae Adams showing out as to why he is probably the best receiver in football with uh, 10 catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown as well. But the 49ers are not going away as, as simple as they as they want it to be, or as simple as the Packers wanted it to be. Jimmy G's got 142 and a touchdown. Uh, Trevor Sermon's got 28 yards in the ground, which is not anything to be proud of. <laughs> and then uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Trey Lance comes in and uh, scores a rushing touchdown. So, we see some diversity from Kyle Shanahan and his team, but we will see how that progresses. Um, yeah, we, we, we do have one more segment. I did forget to mention it uh, before. Well, what do we got? Um, we got the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles-Dallas Cowboys game. Right. We do have our predictions for tomorrow's game. Absolutely. That is a great call because I totally slipped my mind as I shouldn't have. Yeah. So, I mean, just to kind of like set it up real quick. So, yeah, for the Monday night game, uh, we got the Philadelphia Eagles squaring off against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, both teams are currently sitting at one and one. Uh, the Eagles are coming off of a pretty close home loss to the 49ers last week. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are coming off of a huge road win against the Chargers on a game-winning field goal. This is one of the biggest rivalries that the NFL has to offer, and it's in prime time Monday Night Football. So, Kev, let me kick it to you. Um, who do you think is going to win this game, and why? See, as everybody knows by now, I'm a little biased. Uh... Philly is kind of my secondary team. Um, and, of course, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, in my mind, are a better team than the Dallas Cowboys as of right this second just because Dallas's defense continues to go injury after injury after injury. I mean, DeMarcus Lawrence is out for another six to eight weeks, and they had to move their top draft choice in Micah Parsons to defensive end in which he has played linebacker for the majority of his career, both high school, college, and in the pros. So – they're getting desperate in terms of trying to create a pass rush. Obviously, their secondary isn't really known for a lot. 
of, you know, playmaking abilities or even creating turnovers. Whereas the Philadelphia Eagles are playing very good football, at least effective football. They held the 49ers to 17 points last week. I know it doesn't sound like a, a thing to brag about, but they did hold a team that is pretty good in terms of uh, offensive efficiency to a pretty low number. Jalen Hurts is playing very well. The running game is doing very good. Um, Devontae Smith is playing great. So I just want to go out there and say that I believe that Philadelphia is probably going to win this game by 10 points just because I think that Jalen Hurts is a great combination of accuracy in the pocket. He is able to extend the play with his legs, and he is effective in his decision-making. He doesn't always go for the big play. He knows when to check it down to Miles Sanders and gain well, but he also does know how to read the field and scan it. And with Philly's ability to pressure the quarterback with their front four, uh, front seven, should I say. I do know that, unfortunately, they did lose Brandon Graham for the year with a torn Achilles, but that is why you brought the veteran presence of Ryan Kerrigan into the fold. And I think that they're going to be able to get to Dak Prescott. Obviously, we have uh, Lionel Collins. Well, I believe um, he is out for the next seven games. He's suspended for, uh, I think he tried to bribe a drug testing official at the NFL level. So great on them. Um, but that does take away from their depth at the offensive line in terms of Dallas. Um, outside of Tony Pollard, they haven't really been effective in terms of running the football efficiently, or should I say consistently on the Dallas side as well. But uh, we shall see. But again, I do predict that Philadelphia wins by about 10 points. I think Miles Sanders has his first 100-yard game of the season. And I think Jalen Hurts throws for about 225, 250, maybe a touchdown or two, and he'll get about 50 yards on the ground as well. You know, it's it's it kind of interesting for me because when I look at the Eagles, the Eagles have a really solid defense so far. The first two games, they've only given up 23 points to the Falcons. In the first game, they only gave up six, and they only gave up 17 against the 49ers in week two. So defensively, they've been pretty solid. Now, I do think that they are going up against a pretty solid offense in the Dallas Cowboys, and it's going to be a very interesting matchup to see uh, whether or not you have Dak and Dallas's offense overcome what Philly has to offer defensively. As far as my pick for this game, I'm going to go with the Cowboys here. I think it's going to be a really close game. Actually, I have it a little bit closer than you. I think it's going to be a one-possession game, but I think it might be like a three- or four-point game when it's all said and done. The reason why I'm going with Dallas over Philly is I just have a little bit more faith in the Cowboys' offense than I do the Eagles' offense. And to kind of cite the Eagles' game from last week, they went up against the 49ers. And the 49ers have an okay defense. You know, they have they have Nick Boza, which is just, he's just a man on a mission on that side of the defensive ball. But, you know, when I, when I look at the Cowboys here, I just think they're going to be able to overcome what Philly's going to offer them defensively. And I think Dak's going to light them up. I think Dak's going to have a game where he might throw for potentially 35 to 40 times. They're not able to get consistent production from their run game with Ezekiel Elliott or Pollard. I think it's going to kind of put Dak in a situation where he's going to have to throw the ball to CD Lamb a lot, get Amari, tar- get Amari his targets. And I just have a gut feeling that I think the Cowboys are just going to be able to squeak this out at the end of the game. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game. I think it's actually going to be a relatively high-scoring game because I think Philly's going to be able to get points against Dallas's subpar defense. But I think in the end, I think Dak and the boys are going to be able to get it done like in the last possession of the game. And I think they get this close win um, in Dallas, and that'll put them up uh, 2-1 to start the season. We shall see. The NFC East is continuing the reputation for a dumpster fire of football teams. Obviously, the Giants continue to go uh, winless. They are 0-3. As we had stated earlier, Washington is 1-2. The Cowboys are 1-1. Obviously, Philly is 1-1. So we will see. One of those teams will have to be under 500. So um, it is going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be a really good one. Both offenses very potent. I think one defense is obviously a little bit better than the other. So we shall see what happens on that front for Monday night. Um, that about wraps up for the most of our episode today, guys. I do know that you know Kyle and I can sit here and talk about why the Patriots and the Colts did pretty poorly today, but that's just unnecessary because, one, that's probably going to give me an aneurysm, and two, I know that Kyle's not happy with the performance of his rookie quarterback. So we're just going to save that energy for another episode this week because there's just no reason to get that angry, or at least in my opinion, get frustrated. I don't know yeah. if you agree. <laughs> I do. 
I do. It was it was tough to watch the pass today. But give the Saints credit. They played extremely well today. I mean, they basically owned the Patriots in that game. I mean, 28 to 13. Mac had his first bad game of the year. But the Saints looked great. I thought their defense really kind of set the tone early and they kept it the entire game. So give New Orleans credit. That's a good bounce back win after they dropped one to Carolina last week. Yeah, I mean, I can't say the same because the Colts forced three turnovers and Carson Wentz basically played in a wheelchair and Frank Wright continued to just not run the ball. So once again, before I go and pop a vessel in my brain, I'm just going to let that be. I'm going to kind of end it on a good note. Guys, we're at 218 subscribers. I really appreciate, or should I say, we really appreciate all the support as always. We are here to provide amazing content. Obviously, baseball's postseason is literally coming to the door we are so close to October baseball. The NBA is less than a month away, and we are just so, 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 so excited. Obviously, um, training camp and preseason and all that kind of starts tomorrow. Uh, so we are excited to see what happens in that regard. Uh, I, I guess, I mean, I did want to bring up really quick, just because for the sake we talked about it last week, or we had a segment about it, um, a little bit of a Ben Simmons update, guys. The leaders of the 76ers on their personnel in terms of like Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Matisse Steibel were literally about to board a plane, a private jet, to go and see Ben Simmons to try to convince him to report to camp and play out the season. Ben reached out and said, don't bother. I'm not playing for them, and I never want to play for them again. And Rich Paul also came out this weekend saying, Ben's not showing up. We want anywhere but Philadelphia. We want out. So this has literally turned into a soap opera because I don't think Ben's playing now. I know that we said we thought he would show up, but I think that this is going to show us the complete opposite. Would you agree? I guess so. I mean, bro, the amount of pettiness, the amount of drama that's going on associated with this story with Ben Simmons, it's just wild to me. The season hasn't even started yet. I mean, hell, even training camp hasn't started yet. And we're already going over this BS that's going on between Ben Simmons and his what looks like to be his former teammates with the 76ers as if they actually work out a trade with Ben Simmons to wherever they find him a spot to go to. But it's like we mentioned last week. Who wants to trade for Ben Simmons? And it's not a competitive team. I, not listen, that, I'll tell you I, listen, that. I, I don't want to get personal here. I'm keeping it strictly basketball here. It's just like, yeah, Ben is great defensively and he's good with facilitating the basketball, but homeboy, you have to score. Like that's like a prereq just to get into the NBA. You got to score somewhat. And with the way that he's been playing the last couple of years, I mean, he got around to finally attempting three point shots. I mean, it's better than what he did like the first like year or two where he didn't take one. So I, I mean, I guess that's something that's a little bit better, but it's just like, I mean, he's a liability offensively. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this whole trade scenario works out because they got to find a suitor. And a suitor is going to have to be willing to give up a lot in, in the process here because, I mean, Kev, we talked about what Philly wanted in return for Ben and some of the packages that they had, you know, talking about potentially five draft picks, you know, going you know, from one team to them. I mean, like, really? Really? I, it's just, yeah. it, I just, I can't it's, believe it. It's going to be interesting. I can't believe it. I, like, the story literally gives me a migraine because, like, the season hasn't started and there's this much drama already. And granted, I, I couldn't be Ben Simmons. I couldn't do it. Taking all that slander online for, like, the last, like, six months and then this just adds on top of it, basically saying... Yeah, I'm pretty much done with the 76ers. I, I, I tell you, like the internet just has a field day with this guy, and he's giving them more than enough fire to just keep on going with it. Yeah, it's just it's, it's not looking well for his image. It's not looking well for his professional career to basically throw a fit and a tantrum to force your way out of a situation. Um, granted, in my professional opinion, I probably think that Philly will trade him out of the Eastern Conference for the sake of yeah. if he does decide to ship up or you know act right. He may hinder their ability to go out there and perform in the Eastern Conference. It's just a matter of, bless you, Thank do you. they end up trading him to a competitor or do they trade him to a team like a Sacramento and get a De'Aaron Fox in return? Do they trade him to a dumpster fire um, 
in the West. I can't even think of a team right now because I just see, oh, the Houston Rock. You know what I mean? Like, just, just, just something bad. And we shall see what happens and transpires. There are a whole lot of rumors and fake scenarios that they might want to get John Wall in Philadelphia with Joel Embiid. They might want to go out there and acquire um, Colin Sexton from the Cavaliers. So, again, we will see. But I just thought I'd mention it because it's an interesting story for the weekend. Because if you're literally looking at your teammates that you've gone to war with for the last four years who are coming to you, they're flying to you in L.A., private jet, just them, no coaches, no training staff, no nothing, no agents. Yo, Ben, let's just go have a drink. Let's spend a weekend together. Let's talk about this. Let's get the, you know, let's work together. And instead, he legitimately just said, yo, bro, it ain't happening. Like, don't waste your flight. I just thought that that was a whole different level of wow. I'll I'll be honest. I got three good places that he can go to. And this is just my opinion. And these were like set in stone after that story uh, popped up over the weekend about Ben basically turning away his uh, teammates from flying out there. So my first place that I'd send him to, he's got a nice little spot in Detroit. Be a good little spot for him. You know, live out the rest of his NBA career. Uh, the second one, um, I'm going to keep it within the Eastern Conference. I think uh, Cleveland. Cleveland would be a very good spot for him. You know, get Colin Sexton out of that nightmare that is Cleveland. And you could let um, you could let Ben Simmons fester there for the next couple of years. You know, kind of teach him a lesson, you know, for being this petty and being this stupid to his teammates. And then the third one, you know, I shifted a little bit over to the Western Conference just to kind of even it out here. I think uh, Sacramento. Sacramento would be a dandy spot for him. He gets his uh, he gets his dream scenario of playing on the West Coast. Um, you know, maybe you get De'Aaron Fox out of there. Maybe you get De'Aaron Fox actually on a team like where um, he could actually play because De'Aaron Fox has been nothing but sensational. And um, I would love to see De'Aaron Fox in a much better situation than Sacramento currently offers to him. And I think I think Ben would do wonders for that team. I think he, they could possibly win. 20 games a season if you had Ben to the roster, you know, <laughs> look at a top five lottery pick. I'm just, um, just throwing it out there. You know, those are my three, those are my three spots for Ben. I think if Ben wants to be this petty, if Ben wants to be like this ridiculous with his teammates, you know what? You reap what you sow. You reap the consequences of your decision-making. And uh, I think sending him to one of those three potential destinations would be, uh, would be fitting to say the least. Well, I didn't know Kyle had this kind of petty left in him. Honestly, I didn't. I didn't think that this was uh, in Kyle's book of tricks because this seems like something more than I would say. So, I, ladies and gentlemen, you are getting a live, I, authentic I, look at Kyle. I got nothing personal against Ben. I obviously never, we don't know I've him. Ne- I've never met the guy, but you know, granted, I don't, these stories may be true. These stories may not be true. But there's been enough of these stories leaked out about Ben's behavior, where I'm just like, dude, I'm like. It's on you. It's on you. And you know what? You want to get traded? I'll, I'll trade you. If I was Philly's GM, like, all right, I'll trade you. I'm going to send you to the worst place possible. Kyle sounds like a pissed off dad. You want to act up? Okay, go to your room. Yep. I'm going to send you to the attic. I'm like, bro, you, no TV privileges for a week. <laughs> bro, he's about to take away your game, boy. You keep acting up. Next week is going to be your damn GameCube or your oh, PlayStation. Oh, so. you know, I, bro, I'm going to throw the PS5 in the pool if he keeps acting up. Shit, that's absolutely ridiculous. I'll put a baseball bat to it. That's crazy. Starts acting right, but uh, like, Kevin, like, we're we're grown adults here, you know, and it it just it just irks me to see this much pettiness. You know, granted, I know I'm kind of playing the part here, but Ben's an adult. And, you know, I, I see the little videos that kind of pop out here and there of, like, him getting his gym time, him getting his shots up. And, you know, I, I wish the guy nothing but success. I really do. You know, I'm being genuinely honest about that. But when I just see, like, this level of ridiculousness, I just I just go to a place as like, you know what? I'm done with you. And guess what? You know who's done? The Boston Red Sox. They just lost to the Yankees. So, you know, Kevin's very happy about that. Kevin, Let's got any, go. That's a sweep. You got any uh, any things to say about the Red Sox after taking uh, three straight losses? Nobody liked the goddamn Red Sox. Y'all could go kiss my ass. Let's go. I'm so hyped right now. Standing on a tear. 
sitting on the chair right now. Oh, man. You know, I will say the last time that you really got to shit talking about the New York Yankees, like when they went on that 13 game win streak, they followed it up with being like god awful for like two weeks after. Yeah. Yep. No, I know. And that was absolutely terrible. It was just an atrocious. I don't even know what the hell happened. The Yankees just decided to take a nap and uh, it is what it is. But we swept the Red Sox. We got two more series to go to close out the season. I believe this puts us in a predicament where we are two games ahead of the Red Sox, if not one game ahead of the Red Sox for sole possession of the first wild card spot. So obviously the division has been run away. Congratulations to the Rays. So what, 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 what? It's one game, right? One game. Yeah. So we're one game ahead. We need to at least win one out of the next two series because especially with it being within the AL East, it's going to be a very big pain in the ass. I can't remember if we play Toronto first or if we play Tampa first. But either way, we need to come out of there with a series win, preferably against Toronto, to keep them at bay in the wild card chase. Um, putting us into the postseason right now with everybody getting healthy on the pitching staff, I'm very excited to see what can happen. I don't predict us to go very far because we are way too consistent. But I'm happy we beat the Red Sox, especially to close the season out. That, that's how it ends. I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. Giancarlo Stanton, I'm going to name my son Giancarlo. It's fine. We're going to be great. And – that wraps up the episode for today. Yeah, I had to, I had to get a little petty for Ben. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I had to go there. I had to. Just, you know. I liked I, it. It was funny. I know. I know. But he does, like. Does it to himself. I, listen, I got, I got, I got all the ammunition from him. So, he wants to be that petty. All right. I'll be petty back. This Big facts. But, like Kevin said, that'll wrap it up from here. Um. Whether you guys watched us on YouTube or you listened to us on the audio platforms, we definitely appreciate the support. Um, if you guys like the content that we do, you know, just spe- spe- oh my God. specifically talking about YouTube. Oh my God, it's been a long day, Kevin. Um, if you guys like the content, you know, hit that like button below. If you guys want to support the channel in any way, shape, or form, hit that subscribe button below. I, I say it over and over again, you know, any sort of support that we can get for the channel, Kevin and I definitely appreciate it. Uh, we will have another episode coming out later this week. We'll talk about some of the week four matchups that'll come up uh, next Sunday. I imagine we'll be talking a little bit about the uh, the return of Tom Brady to New England. That's going to be a very fun topic. Um, you know, both teams are coming off of a loss, so it's going to be a pretty good game for both teams. Gonna, they're going to have to get it back, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, and then pretty much, you know, we'll be wrapping up on the MLB season. Uh, by the end of the week, you know, we got a couple games left. Um, I know the the Yankees, like Kevin mentioned, they're still kind of trying to work out a wild card spot for the playoffs. But it, it should be a very fun finish to the end of the baseball season, and I look forward to it. And I know Kevin does as well. You know it. You know it. So, so like we said, you know, just appreciate you guys tuning in to watch us or listen to us or however you get the podcast, and we will see you guys later. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.